I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moe! Rugby, rugby, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello everybody and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Bernard Jackman coming up in a few minutes time. Gavin Casey here to kick things off with Murray Kinsella. Murray, are you all set for our revamp? Yeah, the brave new dawn. I'm excited. I'm encouraged so far and I'm excited to see what we can do and push things on to next level. We've had a great run doing this and it's been so much fun and plenty more of it ahead, Gav. Yeah, there certainly is. So in case any listeners have missed our couple of announcements over the last week or so, this Thursday pod will, in a couple of weeks' time, become a members-only pod. The three of us, uh, speaking to members every Monday, kind of trying to give the definitive and first word, really, on the weekend's rugby action. Murray and Owen's pod, which has proved so popular on Mondays, will shift to Wednesdays. Maybe a bit of a broader scope for you guys to get into things that people want to hear about as well and not just be tied to some of the weekend action Murray I'll bring you back in on that in a second the two of us then will be doing a a Friday preview pod which will be free for members and non-members alike it'll be a a pretty short kind of a quick hit look ahead to the weekend's action before we get into like the meat and drink of it the following week for members and we're excited by the prospect of doing all of this we're also really encouraged by the number of you who have supported it so far and seem to be on board with it. But as I said in those couple of announcements over the last week or so, we want to actually explain to you in conversational terms, the two of us, why we're doing it. And the why is kind of the central question, I guess, Murray. And like it is about providing more and better rugby content for our listeners, but like we're not going to shy away from the fact that there is a commercial element to it as well. Um, to try and encapsulate all of that I thought it'd be worth giving people a brief sense of who we are how the 42 actually started where we're going or where we want to go and why we believe we're actually worth supporting because ultimately that is what we're asking people to do so um, I I don't want (laughs) to give the entire history of the company but but it did start in 2010 like it's pretty young and people maybe don't (coughs) realize that started off as the score.ie the sole purpose at the time, it was before my time, um, was to cover sport the way we like to read it, the way we like to hear it. And it's probably a testament to our editor, Adrian Russell, our deputy editor, Niall Kelly, to all of the staff that they've taken on over the last 12 years now, that the 42 kind of feels as though it's perceived as being on a par with comparably massive national print publications. I've even felt that acceptance developed since I started in 2017, but the reality is we are we are actually very different to newspapers and not just because some of them have had a century head start in us in terms of building readerships, <laughs> but because we're entirely independent, we're not part of some massive media conglomerate and without putting too fine a point on it, I kind of see us as a, a bit of an underdog story really. Where we're similar to those bigger publications and newspapers is that the 42 generates revenue through advertising, so sponsored partnerships that you might see on the site. That's what's always kept the lights on. It's kept Murray and myself in jobs. (laughs) But we started the membership a couple of years ago with the intention of becoming self-sufficient because advertising can be flaky enough, to be honest. And we saw during the pandemic, especially, companies actually kind of stopped advertising. It put us in a tight spot. The membership became even more important. Zoom in then on the pod, and I'm sure listeners will know themselves from listening to other podcasts, that you either make money uh, on a podcast by putting it behind a paywall on the likes of Patreon or by doing ad reads during the show. Whereas this move will allow for us to make the podcast commercially viable without having to do ad reads that maybe we're uncomfortable with doing or that, more importantly, you, our listeners, don't want to hear us doing. So... After speaking there, uninterrupted for longer than will hopefully ever again be the case on this podcast, let me bring you in, Murray, to give your two cents on why you're behind this move. Mm, It's been some journey. I joined in 2013, which is a long time ago now, and the company has just developed so much since the likes of yourself coming on board, more staff, more coverage, more in-depth pieces, more reads, more podcasts, more of everything, really, and and it all costs more money, obviously. Um, I suppose the most encouraging thing for me, as you said, since last week we announced this, is to see the number of people who really value our work to the the point of 
stumping up their their hard-earned cash to support us continuing to do that and as you said this is a really sustainable way of us of us doing it and probably doing what we do even better that's that that's the plan for the next while with these pods putting a bit more time into uh, producing them making sure they're of the best quality uh, having a chance to the three of us chat through topics that people our members want and, and again that's been a really eye-opening part of the membership for me is like people who support us driving what we do you've seen it so much gav suggestions we get every week and on email or, or in the whatsapp groups around what they want covered and this allows us just closer touch points i suppose with the people who engage with our work so yeah i'm, I'm massively excited by it and it feels like yeah a bit of a big step but one that has been encouraged so far and one that people seem to be grabbing onto so yeah if people have enjoyed the the pod i encourage them to stick with us as you say it'll be a great touching point on a monday straight after the weekend all the big talking points get birch's view maybe a couple of rants here and there um and our usual analysis and then with owen on a wednesday now we'll have a bit more scope to as you say dig into big talking points analytical viewpoints take a broader view as well on the rugby world that's another bit of eye-opening stuff for me behind the scenes with the members like <laughs> the members know more about rugby than i do and they're keen to to hear of all different angles around the world super rugby irish coaches abroad that kind of stuff and, and we're going to have some guests on we'll have more time and opportunity to to get all that planned and in place and and, ro- and rolling forward so yeah i think it's a great offering there with the two rugby pods two of us will be chatting to everyone on Fridays as usual and looking forward to the weekends which we've always enjoyed doing but there's a hell of a lot else involved in the the membership as well not just rugby so I can only encourage people to get involved support us doing our our work and hopefully we'll see a few more sign-ups as well yeah the long and short of it is that it will allow us to continue doing this for the last three years I think we've been doing it kind of on top of our day jobs it takes a few man hours um this will allow it to become probably a little bit more of an integral part of our jobs. The quality will increase as a result of that. The offerings, as you can hear from the two of us, will increase as well in terms of volume, but also in terms of members' ability to actually steer our coverage a little bit and, and their input. Um, I was interested to hear your origin story with the 42 there, Murray. Are, are you aware of... Well, I mean, you're aware of it, but we have a, a kind of an origin story that, like... Actually, I'm not sure if I've ever told you this. I'm going to say it. We need to get to Birch in a second, but while we're here, right? So about, I think it was like 2016, Sean O'Brien was up for some press junket. He was uh, an ambassador for some brand. I apologize now that I can't remember what it was. I was working for Balls.e at the time. Balls had a kind of a smaller team, um, fewer resources, and it, it you would have almost had to make a case to get out and get to one of these junkets because if you're just getting the same quotes as are going to be popping up in newspapers or on the 42 as at the time it may not be worth our while it was a slightly different model i guess or a different way of doing things so the media person who was running the junket i contacted her to say listen i need a one-on-one interview or else i can't really do it and she said yeah yeah that's, that's no problem um we can set that up so i'm on my way over there and she rings me <laughs> and uh she says Oh, Gavin, um, you know about the one-on-one interview? I was like, yeah. She was like, I think it might be best, actually, if we just do it as a group. You know, Murray Kinsella. I was like, oh, I know of him. Like, And she was like, yeah, Murray would kind of prefer if it was just done as a group interview. And I was thinking, who does this guy think he is? You know, <laughs> And it may have been bullshit, to be fair. But uh, <laughs> she Sorry, that's a bad first impression. I don't remember that, Gav. I don't remember what was going on there. And I would but, always want to one-on-one. I don't know what that was. But then when, but, we uh, started, yeah. when we started working together, you were down in New Zealand. So I met with Adrian Russell, our editor. He said, and just before I joined, he kindly offered me a, a few days or maybe a week or so to kind of you know, rest up before starting with a, a new company. But he said, preferably, I, I could start straight away because you guys were doing a show a video show for the Lions tour and basically I was going to be speaking to you for the very first time on that show you know what I mean and I was kind of going oh I wonder what this guy's mm. going to be like bit of a prima donna from my recollection and like within seconds I was like okay okay <laughs> I did that woman was lying or I was, I was just entirely wrong so it's uh it's been a fun yeah I don't know what the story was there it's it's been good it's been good so far and that's been the thing as well with this pod like it's definitely been one of the most enjoyable parts of the the week especially last couple of years and that's been the kind of like when people chat to you at matches and say oh I, I read the 42 or whatever they actually usually say I, I listen to the pod I enjoy the pod <clears throat> and it's been class to see that kind of 
grow for it out there and a bit of acceptance and it'll be great to have a few of those people along for the kind of new chapter with us as well so yeah it's been it's been a lovely part of the the working week chatting to you two lads not in a way as if we're sitting on a few bar stools and long may continue yeah it's been a lot of fun uh, before we throw the birch, because that is enough from ourselves, just to let any prospective members know, if you haven't signed up yet, still a 33% discount to become a member of the 42 for a full year for listeners of this podcast. Just use the promo code, the 42 or W, it's all one word, all caps. It's members.the42.e to get onto the landing page, see all of the offerings, not just the rugby offerings, and support us on this new move. Now here's Bernard Jackman. The Cullen forwards working hard on the wide outside. Here's Dennis Hickey. Hickey, good run by Hickey Gleeson. Out to Bernard Jackman. That's wonderful hands from Leinster. Super try from the men in blue. Well, it was majestic. Absolutely majestic. Bernard Jackman, great to see you. We have to start on a damp note, however, just before we came on to start recording the... Death was reported of a, a real legend, Vainga Twingamala, and wanted to take a couple of minutes to pay him his dues. I think for rugby fans of a certain vintage, he was such an enjoyable player to watch and actually a kind of a significant presence. Um, talk to us about your memories of him. Yeah, Inga de Winga. Um, he was obviously a legend across code. Um, uh, he, I, I actually met him a good few times um when i was playing for sale sharks because i played with a guy called apollo perlini um and jason robinson so two rugby league guys who came to join sale sharks and inga obviously was a was a big mentor to jason robinson um and helped him get over some you know uh some issues and with drinking things like that and uh he used to come down to the club and he was a huge man i mean he was him and Lomu, for me, were the two two biggest, uh, most powerful wingers I ever ever um, remember. And uh, but was just a kind, um, gentle giant off the field. And um, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, it's 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 terrible. But Steve Black, the fitness coach for Newcastle Falcons, who who Inga played for, also passed away this week, and they were they were very close. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's, uh, it's very sad, sad for for all his family and friends. Yeah, Murray, I, like, we're old enough to remember him, obviously, but, like, when you think of the, you know, when Bernard compares him to Lomu there, like, back then, those guys were a dime a dozen, like, actually, even rarer than that, like, for somebody to be as powerful as Ingo was, it was just a, a sight to behold, and, you know, this in this day and age, nearly every player is an absolute animal, so maybe that's what stands out a little bit, was just the absolute power of him, and how different unique that felt at the time yeah he was a, a game changer and probably laid the the way for John Lomu to, to kind of follow through and even I just spent the last 10 minutes before we jumped on on YouTube watching some of the clips I highly recommend doing it because it just was different back then no one was like Inga the winger and blasting through and around and hammering people in the tackle he's a giant amongst men in, in all those videos so has left a, an amazing legacy in the game. Really sad news and, um, yeah, rest in peace. Absolutely. We are going to look ahead to Ireland, Italy. Uh, on the show today, we have got loads of chat coming up. We were kind of putting together a running order. We felt like it was an opportunity to have a bit of fun this week, talk about different things. There's some news that was reported by The Telegraph during the week that the well, the A-teams of premiership clubs in England may be set to join the championship. We're going to get into that and maybe apply it to, or give it a kind of an Irish context and ask if it could be done with provincial A-teams in the AIL, for example. Uh, we're going to look at some of the comings and goings. I was going to say the province is really just a couple of interesting signings. Loads, we'll get into it. But I wanted to start, Birch, with the uh, story that you tweeted out earlier in the week. Um... Scott Robertson, was it Scott Robertson or am I? No, sorry, excuse me, Wade Smith, excuse me, yeah. Wayne Smith uh, giving some memories of Roy Keane speaking to the All Blacks 2008 in Wellington ahead of a test against Ireland. Just to give people a, a sense of what he was saying, uh, he said, I'll tell you a story that made a real difference to me. He was basically answering whether or not he would ever coach a team like England, who he was linked with. And he says, Roy Keane came into the all-black environment for about a week in the build-up to a test match down in Wellington. He was an intriguing guy. We asked him if he would get up and talk to the boys at dinner. So he stood up and he said something really interesting. He talked about going from Man U to Celtic. 
It seems like it was a bit of a fingers to Fergie. He said as soon as he pulled on the new jersey over his head, he realized it was the wrong jersey. It made a real impression on me. I kept thinking about that. If I pulled the white jersey over my head, would it be the right fit for me? And I decided at that point that I probably wouldn't coach against the All Blacks. It's not set in concrete, but that's how I felt. It would have been the wrong jersey to pull over the head. And part of the reason why we bring it up, aside from it just being objectively interesting, I think, is the fact that you were there in 2008. You actually met Roy on that tour. Yeah, so um, he was he was obviously in the in the All Blacks camp. Uh, but obviously he's an Irishman and, and an Irish rugby fan and um, he used to go to Munster games I remember seeing him in, in crowds at Munster games when Munster were on their European Cup odysseys and uh, I bumped into him one day in a coffee shop and, and just introduced myself and he said look he was loving it he, he'd always admired the All Blacks he was doing his pro coaching licence and, and, and part of that is you have to spend time with a um, a different team and ideally different sports so he obviously proposed uh, I'm sure lots of soccer coaches would love to spend a week with the All Blacks but they mightn't have the, the connections so I think it was true Adidas even though he was a Diodora man uh, from what I remember but he was able to get access to them and, and uh, yeah I, I didn't know he'd spoken to them to be honest but I know that Rog Quinney and someone else went out for dinner with him and they said it was Paul O'Connell Paul O'Connell yeah they said I remember them telling everyone was uh, you know, all ears about what it was about, and he said it was fascinating. You know what I mean? And look, he is a fascinating, he's a fascinating man and and uh, character. But uh, yeah, it was amazing. So Wayne Smith, to be honest, uh, you know Scott Robertson, who you mentioned, is obviously you know top of the list for most coaching jobs at the moment. But Wayne Smith could have any job um, in the world that he wants. Uh, he consults in Japan um, a little bit in. in um, in Kobe, and they they won the championship, the or the Japanese league the year before this last. Um, but he doesn't want to take on anything that's not going to fit into his family situation, and he doesn't want to take on a job to coach against the All Blacks. And he credits you know Roy Keane for uh, for kind of planting that seed in in, in his mind. And um, it's amazing actually. So I know a lot of coaches who've got coaching jobs because Wayne Smith recommended them. Uh, that's how much weight and credibility he has in in the game and. Uh, He's yeah, he's phenomenal. He he came and spoke to one of our coaching groups and and uh, gave up an hour. He's just um, to be honest, he's he's probably the most the brightest. Joe Schmidt's obviously brilliant, uh, a brilliant rugby mind. But I think Wayne Smith would be up there. I think um, in terms of seeing how the game is going to go and and uh, has has had a big role in the All Blacks. You know, two World Cup wins. Keane actually spoke about that dinner with Raj, Quinney and Paul O'Connell in an interview he did recently with David Walsh in the Times. Uh, I just have a little snippet of it here. He says, uh, so Ronan is there, referring to Raj, obviously. He wants to know about the All Blacks. How are you getting on with them, Roy? Uh, brilliant, Keane says. They're good lads. You know you're in for a tough game. Uh, and Raj goes, can I ask you something? Go on. Have they mentioned me? Keane says I swear he hasn't had his main course yet do I lie and then Keane says to be honest Ronan they mentioned you at Monday morning at nine o'clock <laughs> and Rog says I fucking knew it they're fucking always going after me <laughs> <laughs> but it, he, he helped you out a little bit Birch as well did he well it was a connection so I, I was doing it when I retired I went back and did a, a master's in UCD and I did my thesis on the correlation between high performance behavior in sport and business and um it was funny actually because i lived in i played for sale back in 2000 and 2001 and um yeah basically the groundsman for for sale was an irishman and the groundsman in old trafford was an irishman and they like to have a beer on a sunday um and sometimes roy used to used to go to that and and so between the jigs and the reels anyway he was uh he was Part, helped me get into into United for a few days um, as for my for they were one of the clubs that I visited as part of my my thesis but um, it was yeah it was, it was phenomenal but look at these uh, I was you know I'm a United fan so um, you know even to probably a bit starstruck to meet him in a coffee shop and um, yeah he's just look at he's box office you know Eddie Jones said he was well up there as the very best speaker they had in English camp players yeah. coaches loved him although Johnny yeah. Sexton said they got him in before the England game last year and obviously that didn't go so well. So I think Johnny might hold that against him. <laughs> yeah, look at it. Getting a speaker in doesn't mean you're going to win. But uh, I think <laughs> what he has is he he's able to uh, catch people's interest. You know what I mean? He's, a, he's just a fascinating communicator, I think. And um, obviously his stature in the game 
uh, yeah, so if, like likes of Eddie's getting them in, you know, and players are talking, raving about him because those players will have will have heard, you know, the best speakers um, or the, the high, most high profile speakers around. I mean, it must be hard for Mick Carney, who organises the Irish, um, you know, the, the the guest speakers for the Irish squad to try and get somebody who's going to come in and, and blow them away. You know, I think they had, you know. Um, They've had Marvin Hagler and they've had, you know, uh, DJ Carey, Henry Shefflin, the best of Irish and international uh, sports stars and non-sports stars. But uh, yeah, to get someone like Keane who can, yeah, get a get a room of rugby players who you know maybe aren't massive soccer fans to to be engaged is, is credit to him. Who who's the most interesting person you've met in that type of capacity, Birch? Whether it was speaking to you when you were a player as part of a squad, or maybe even somebody you brought in yourself. Yeah, the best guy I, I, I I've been involved was Parry Carrington when he came into the Irish squad um, down in Enfield. So it, there's lots of talk about oh, the reason Ireland won the Grand Slam in 2009 was the you know the kind of argument between Rob Carney and the and the Munster players about you know does playing for Ireland mean as much to them as playing for Munster but I actually didn't feel that was the that was that big a deal to be honest I thought uh, Harrington coming in that weekend um and talking about you know how he'd been the nearly man how he was tries not to read newspapers but um you know he invariably saw Harrington chokes again he'd been second 22 or 23 times in, in big tournaments and uh, a little bit around how his mindset was. And just to give you uh, one, one, something that struck home with me was um, he used to be fascinated with Tiger Woods, right? And uh, he had a video guy or his coach and he'd always say, he'd see Tiger Woods hit a brilliant shot and he'd say, oh, clip that shot for me and, and put it as part of a, a video package, right? So effectively, he 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 when he looked at Tiger Woods, he only saw the brilliance he had, right? And um, he said the problem was then he was reinforcing in his mind that Tiger Woods was unbeatable. So invariably, if he was going into play, um, if he's in, if he's in the group, the last group of Tiger Woods on the last day of a of a competition, um, he kind of put massive pressure on himself because, and I'm not massively into golf, so I could have this wrong. But say for example, um, he he kind of built up the Tiger Woods and hit 67, right, or whatever, on a Sunday. And to beat Tiger Woods, he'd have to hit 65. So he'd force everything, right? And Tiger Woods wouldn't have to hit 67 because Parik wouldn't hit... Parik could hit 72. Tiger Woods could hit 73. And effectively, he flipped the whole thing around. And instead of actually picking highlight videos of uh, of Tiger Woods, whenever he saw him hit a bad shot, he said, look at... You know, clip that for me, right? So uh, the idea would be that look at, you know, look for people's weaknesses. Don't build up um, the England or France to be unbeatable. Um you know they've got flaws as well, and and that that little change in mindset, along everything else he did, helped him. I think at that stage he'd won two majors, maybe maybe he'd only won his first one, but he's obviously won three now. And uh, yeah, he was just very open, um, and obviously a guy like that coming in, who's an Irish person who'd had failure, but had conquered the world as such. Um, and he spoke brilliantly, so he's probably the best I've had. I wonder, are Italy compiling a few clips of Ireland's weaknesses during the week, Murray? I, <laughs> I'm not sure, was there any... Did you find anything especially interesting from press stuff during the week before we get into the game? Because it, it can often be a difficult game to talk about, really. You wind up talking about potential experimentation in a lineup or lack thereof, probably. And we have spoken about Italy very re- recently on the podcast. We would love for them to, to remain in the Six Nations. It looks like they will, but like, apart from the fact that they're bringing through some really exciting young players, it's difficult to speak about this game as a contest. Mm. Yeah, it can be hard selling in that sense. And it very much is about Ireland themselves. And even though they are at pains to avoid that being the case and showing respect, you, you absolutely know that's the story here this weekend. They're trying to get as big a score on as they possibly can, keep themselves right in that mix for the title. And absolutely, you'd love to see Italy provide quality and provide a contest, but... On what we've seen so far, that is probably not going to be the case. And anything but a big Ireland win would, would be um, a bit of a surprise. So, yeah, absolutely. It's about Ireland, who they pick. There's loads of chat about that, as always. The number 10 jersey is off mentioned and, and is again this week. So it's a, it's a big one. We're straight in at number 10 here, Birch, with a question from David Cordial. He says, it's a question that's been rattling around the members group chat as well on WhatsApp. Uh, is it better for Jack Carty to play 30 minutes on Sunday or Johnny Sexton. Does someone of Sexton's calibre still need warm-up games before a big test in Twickenham? And is it a problem if Ireland don't have a clear idea who their third choice 10 is? Um, I actually would be in favour of of giving Joey and Jack uh, Carty game time this weekend. Um, and I think Johnny 
would be capable of starting against England. Don't forget England's two weeks away. Um, so um, he'll have two weeks or whatever they do next week. They might have a mini camp, but he he can you know run the team as such. So um, I don't I don't think there's any need to risk him. I think it'd be very good for Jack Carty to get longer off the bench. Um, like the reality is, you know, we need three tens, and um, I think it's important that Jack Carty gets that vote of confidence from from the coaches that that's that's always important for a player he knows he's not number one he probably knows he's not number two but he certainly would benefit from uh having his form for connaught rewarded and even last week when he went back to play for Connacht against the scarlets i thought he had a big impact on the game so yeah i would be in favor of that and i don't think johnny needs 20 minutes this week i said if, if england if the england game was seven days later you could potentially argue it but um, I think he's going to have a massive role to play against England, Scotland, and why risk it for twenty minutes when you could be blooding—not blooding, but you could be giving someone else valuable game time. How would Johnny see it, Birch? Uh, is it a cliche to say he just wants to play every minute, or would he actually be able to accept there is a bigger picture? Yeah, look, I think for this game, he 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 would accept it. I mean, I know if you look at what Leinster have done a few times in 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 Pro Fourteen finals, starting Ross. Um, ahead of him uh, he obviously wants to play every big game but I think as captain of Ireland and uh, he would put the team first and um, I, I think he would understand it nonetheless Murray it would appear as though he's going to start right he did the captain's media yesterday um, which usually is an indication all right, of, of them captaining the starting team at, at the weekend when James Ryan's been captain he's done that presser and when Johnny's been fit and available to start he's done that presser as well so he's kind of set the tone and, and underlined that they're still going after a title and a triple crown and I mean none of us would be shocked if if he is at number 10 in that starting team you think of this time last year and the exact same happened didn't it he missed the France game Billy Byrne started and Ross Byrne came off the bench and then Johnny was back for the Italy game to get some momentum back into their their campaign and and we all talk about the World Cup and of course they have as well and they've been more open about that definitely in, in this cycle and looking forward but they are still as I said looking for silverware in this championship and if Johnny Sexton gives them the best chance of racking up as big a scoreline as possible then that's probably how they're viewing this weekend um, and also getting some momentum back into the team after uh, the first setback in a while in, in Paris where things didn't go exactly as they wanted um, they definitely learned a bit about their own approach and it's been fascinating to hear Farrell and Sexton both talk about ignoring the chat around physicality and instead focusing on the little things that they can do better to strike when they actually get those moments of momentum um, and back what they've been doing in attack in particular over the last number of months. So yeah, I absolutely personally see the longer term picture. I would have absolutely picked I would pick Joey Carberry to start this weekend and build on what he did in Paris and get another bit of time in the saddle directing the team. But, you know, all along, it w- wouldn't have been a shock if, if Sexton starts and straight back in the team to, to lead it all. What are you looking for, Bert, from Ireland this weekend? I, I'd like to see some uh, some new faces, to be honest. I, I think Ireland's attack is, is very much um, on a positive trajectory. Um, and I think now, because everybody knows their their roles and, and and the different options i think it's easier for a joey or a jack carty to to play 10 I, I thought before we were very reliant on on sexton and his inf- his ability to to boss people around and organize people so i think it's easier now and we saw a glimpse of that in paris even though we were you know, obviously beaten on the gain line uh, we still managed to to find space which was great um i'd love to see james low play i'd love to see ballot Clune play and, and that's not a reflection on on Hanson or Conway at all I think um, they're both really good options it's just I think we need to build build more depth um, I think low could be really important for Ireland um, against England and Scotland um, and, and again that's nothing against Mac but I just think we need a left footed kicker uh, particularly with Gibson Park kicking game not being his main strength a lot of focus goes on 10 then um, and I think having a left footer uh is 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 very important and, and I think that Farrell will see that as well so whether he starts or, or comes on this weekend um, I would imagine they'll be gearing him up for for later and again don't forget how important he was for Ireland in November you know um, and uh, so I think he is impo- I think he, he, he'd come in I'd like to see him come in I'd like to see Balotelloon come in as well I think we need to find players um, who can have moments of brilliance and, and unlock a defence um, from long range uh, and, and the way we're trying to play as well 
I mean, having a winger who can go 50 metres um, and exploit a, an edge, I think, is important. And I'm not saying that, you know, he, he's the finished article, but I think he could be someone really important for us in the World Cup. So they'd be the, they'd be the two for me. And then, look, at whether you want to... Obviously, Dan Sheen will probably start. Whether you want to start Bielham or, um, or Keane Healy and, and bring the louder lads off the bench. I'm not really fussed about that, to be honest, but the, the guys I'd like to see would be Joey, Jack... Robert Balatloon and uh, James Lowe. You mentioned Gibson Park and Keane Healy, both of them signing new Leinster deals during the week, as well as back Abdeladze. Uh, Healy moves off a central contract, Porter moves up to one Murray. Uh, and a bit of a strange situation for Gibson Park as well, in the sense that he's absolutely integral to everything that, everything that the national team does at the moment. But obviously they're not going to give central contracts to two players in the exact same position. Conor Murray has one. So Gibson Park kind of has to wait his turn, I guess. Um, nonetheless, right, just good for Leinster to nail these guys down. Great to see Healy giving it another two years. Um, but, yeah, talk to us about, say, I don't know, the Gibson Park dynamic. Like, do, Is it just a case of having to be kind of patient there or has he a right to feel a little bit aggrieved? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic in Irish rugby and always has been the central contracts. Someone like Peter O'Mahony isn't in the starting team with Ireland and is on a central deal. Uh, Josh van der Fleer obviously re-signed a Leinster contract and is not on a central. So it definitely creates a lot of debate and interest among supporters. And sometimes you do question that that system and its value and the status, I suppose, it it in, I suppose endows on, on players when they when they have that central deal. You saw how like honoured Tyg Byrne was to to get his central contract and, and what a well-earned one it is and a very different unique journey i suppose the thing is or if you probably assess it individually and also we have to remember many of these deals will have been done quite a few months ago even um so they're not just recent not decided last week but i mean gibson park was the this the first choice scrum half in november um and as we discussed at the time that was his first campaign probably as as the starter whereas Conor murray had a an incredible body of of work behind him probably would have attracted interest from abroad and did as far as we know and also would have gone back onto to Munster's budget if he if he was off a central deal. So all those factors are definitely considered, as well as him still being a an important part of the the Ireland squad. Whether Gibson Park feels aggrieved about it, I don't know. Honestly, I I would imagine that he had anticipated another Leinster deal at this stage. Um, when he looked at it longer term, Van der Fleer is probably the one where I was more like, oh wow, that's really interesting. A guy who's a pretty much nailed on first choice for, for Ireland as far as I can see in that seven jersey without like really direct competition at the moment obviously the, the back row is always ferociously competitive but he's been really consistent over a long period of time and, and continues to to get better so he was probably the one I, I felt was more maybe hard done by and, and that's probably not the right expression the Porter one going to, to loose head and, and taking that Keen Healy centre contract makes complete sense because that's the trajectory of his career and and it's exciting to see him get better and better. And I think it is brilliant that Keane Healy is playing on for another two years. Still has lots to offer, both for Leinster and, and indeed with Ireland. So um, yeah, congrats to them, I suppose, all on, on their new deals. But I'd love to hear Birch's thoughts on how the central contracting system is kind of working now and whether it's fit for purpose at, at the moment. Look, I think a central contracting system is, is, is obviously important and it's, it's probably at the... Um it's the backbone of of how how we operate and how um how I'd say we will continue to operate. It's just I think it's probably more. I, look, I, I presume for like there's no reason to, to suspect that, um, for example, uh, a central contract that's for a player who's not really first choice anymore. If they decide to keep him on that central contract, that's the same value that that contract can drop. I just don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm not privy to to whether you could actually earn more on a provincial contract than a central contract. Um, and obviously the logic would be, no, you should, there should be a natural progression. But for a guy coming off one, sorry, for a guy who's been in a long-standing one, there's no reason why every time they negotiate it, it's not on current market value to a certain extent. But what the difference is, is it affects the province's budgets. Right? So, for example, from Munster point of view, having Peter Omani and Connor Murray on a central contract is help to them in terms of being able to support them in terms of managing their their squad spend. Likewise, Porter going out to a central contract in place of Healy 
um, it's a direct swap, really. So it's not going to save Leinster any money, but they don't lose out on it. You know what I mean? And the the the, the beauty is to try and get as many players as you can on central contracts, because um, that helps you manage your spend elsewhere. But as I said, like I would like to hope that those guys who signed Josh Van der Fleer, Gibson Park, um, who signed the provincial contracts, you know, you can be pretty sure they're getting paid very close to market value, and and probably they don't care how how it comes to them. You know what I mean? In, in their wage slip, it, uh, you know, in theory, there's more security for having a central contract in that there may be more pressure on on the coaches to 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 give you game time, etc. But the reality is, I think once the once the salary is what you want, um, it shouldn't really matter. But it definitely matters to the to the director of rugby's or the CEOs because um, that affects how much they have to spend on others. That was actually a question posed to us by Graham Glendening uh, via email. He hilariously spelt your name Birch as Bert B E I R T as in <laughs> the Irish for two people, which shows you the the, the esteem in which he holds you. But uh, yeah, he was actually asking that same thing. I suppose whether or not a player being on a central contract um, puts it gives the coach an impetus to actually select them at international level. So even in the case of say Peter Romani, who some people would argue just tactically probably wouldn't warrant a place on Ireland's bench at the moment. I'm not saying it's my opinion. Um, you know, like, is there is there a kind of an incentive just because they're uh, centrally contracted to select them? You're saying no. No, look, there isn't really, um, except except you would like to believe or hope that the head coach, i.e. Andy Farrell, would be involved in those discussions, you know. So um, when that decision has been made, whether... I'm not sure who who obviously Fenus Four is involved in it, but I'm not sure how many people are involved in it. Um it's uh you would imagine that he's making the case saying, Yeah, look at player X is massively important to to me as you know, as we go into the next World Cup cycle or for this Six Nations and I fully support that player being on a central contract and obviously he can change his mind on that, but um we know that humans try and double down on their, on, on their decisions, uh, so it may influence it. The other question I saw on, on the WhatsApp group was, was aligned to this was, does it mean more time off? Does it mean you know less game time? The reality is, I, I think the relationship is so strong and, and the RFU pay for everything anyway, um, that no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, Gibson Park, if he needs a breast, will get a rest, you know? Uh, so, and from that point of view, the player welfare thing, I don't think it matters. I think... All players in Ireland um, gets uh, get put. The individual gets put at the forefront of any discussion, and they it doesn't affect it doesn't affect you. Whereas that was the big thing in France um, and Wales, is that you know the the go, the national union can control a lot more what those central contracted players do. I think in Ireland that happens anyway, um, because we just have such a good system and it's so aligned. Um, is that it happens? So yeah, it really, it really is only a name, and it affects the CEO as you said more than it does the player. Hmm. And really, I suppose as you said, Birch, at the end of the day, it is kind of all from the the same pot. Like the money in Irish rugby comes from the men's senior national international team, and that goes right through the game. And again, even player welfare, it's all from the same pot. Really, like that is one of the strengths of the Irish system is how incredibly joined up and connected it is, and that is. I suppose to the envy of of other rugby playing nations, so there's good there's good in it. Yeah, and I think it's pretty transparent as well. And I'll, I, um, and I'll use the example of Simon Zebo coming back. Um, I mean, no one really needed to know that that was a dual contract. That was that was a a once off split between the RFU and Munster, uh, which we were told it was. Uh, um, and again, I, I admire I admire the fact that they were creative and they did what they had to do to 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 bring the player back and to help Munster and, and, and maybe play, help Ireland. Um, and I'm sure it could cause ruffles amongst Connacht, Leinster and, and Ulster because they hadn't access to that type of, of a deal. Uh, but I think that's 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 pretty transparent by, by the RFU and Munster on that. And we don't need to be privy to, to the players' salaries. I mean, but um, I think it is good to have a have kind of clarity around, you know, what players are centrally contracted. And as I said, if there's something... A little bit unusual like that deal. Um, it's good to be made aware of it, John. Just for a nosiness point of view, not for help us in any other way. <laughs> <laughs> Murray, while we're talking about Ireland, Italy, right? 
Uh, quick word on the under 20s. Again, a bit of a different dynamic mm. to this one because it's a more real as a contest. Italy have a victory over England under their belt already in this competition. They're still just about in contention. Ireland obviously top of the table after a sensational win in France. A few changes to the back line. How do you see this one going and who have you got your eye on this weekend? Tomorrow night even. Yeah, the form lines tell us this is an unbelievably tough game for Ireland. They got beaten by Italy, what was it, pre-Christmas in a, in a kind of warm-up for, for this competition. And Italy's results have been leading towards that 6-0 win over England last time out there, their first ever against them at, at this level. Uh, and a brilliant indicator of the, the excellent work that Steve Abood has been doing and helping in that system in Italy. So absolutely, looks like their toughest challenge yet, which is a really strange thing to say about it, a clash with, with Italy. Ireland have been really gritty and resilient. I think Willie Falloon was talking about this week so far in this competition. They weren't fancied as a, a vintage crop of 20s by any means with, with star names. It wasn't really like that. Looking forward to the, the competition, but they've impressed everyone so far. Interesting to see the changes. Looking forward to seeing more of Jude um, Postlethwaite who comes into to the midfield. He's a really exciting back from, from Ulster. He's played for Ireland Sevens. He's got a really good frame and stature and skill set. Looks like a really rounded player. So nice for him to have that kind of injection of energy into what is otherwise a pretty settled squad. I mean, the pack is unchanged again. And they've been so impressive. Ruben Crothers leading the way with just abrasive, aggressive and quite confident performances. There's a maturity to this side as well which isn't always the case at this level of rugby. It can be often frantic and a bit naive in how they go about it. But yeah, really excited to see them back in action. And it's class that Italy are the, the strongest competition at this point. It kind of felt like last year, Bernard, because Alex Candelan was so dominant, he was the name on everybody's lips from that 20s crop. And this one, it feels as though the excitement is more evenly spread across the entire squad. It feels like there are just kind of names popping up that uh, almost all of them are, are worth um following watching and, and uh, observing their progress who sticks out to your mind yeah look at i think um just going back on last year's team i thought there was three outstanding players uh soroka uh doke and kandelan uh, and i don't think it was a great group so they really stood out i think as you said the 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 quality is probably more more balanced um i i like jack boyle I, I, i've seen him since uh he was a schoolboy. um very dynamic uh ball carrier um, I thought you know Charlie Charlie Tecker is it um the out half uh looks looks really decent um yet yeah, and obviously the guys that that Maurice mentioned yeah I I I think this is going to be a great good test for them and uh, they've obviously had a walk over against Wales got into a very tough game and, and did brilliantly to win in France um and there's a bit of pressure on them now a bit of expectation so it'd be fascinating to see how they how they handle um handle it, this Italian team who who there's such hope about. Report in the Telegraph during the week, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that the A teams from England's Premiership clubs could compete in the Championship. There is a lot of opposition to this, Murray, from Championship clubs who believe their competition could be reduced to a kind of a glorified reserves league. It feels as though the RFU may push ahead with it. I think there's a decision set to be made tomorrow i'm not sure will that be the actual concrete decision but certainly uh, a development on that front what's your impression of that whole situation to begin with and then we can maybe open it up into an irish context yeah it seems quite messy and it seems like the championship clubs have not been central to, to the process over there which is just interesting it's really clear that the premiership clubs have big concerns and issues with a lot of their younger players they essentially just not playing any rugby um, and obviously the pandemic accentuated that some young guys went long spells without actually playing the sport that they're being probably underpaid actually but em kind of employed to play and that's an issue for the provinces as well which is why we kind of started chatting about it in our in our whatsapp group is the larger squads particularly now with what three fewer games in the urc as well and it's clear that the il is a, a brilliant ground for players to play we've seen more of it this season which has been really encouraging but we kind of got to the point where we're thinking imagine you had Munster A against Young Munster the Cookies um, on a weekend where there's not a, a Champions Cup game or whatever it might be or even on the same weekend to get more guys game time it would be an unbelievable uh, battle rivalry and there'd be a nice edge to it um, and you're probably looking for a, 
an an ideal home for the provincial A sides because they do exist. They have existed. They've caused a lot caused a lot of strife to AIL clubs by taking players away. It's clear that the provinces believe that it's a really important stepping stone. Even in Leinster, you look back at the the team that won the Celtic Cup. I was looking at today with Dan Sheehan and, and the number of players that were on that team who are now excelling with Leinster. The province believed that was a really valuable part of their development, playing together in the same systems that the senior team use with same calls and, and similar coaching faces as well. So there's a a grey area, I think, not just in Ireland and England, clearly as well, that needs to be resolved and maybe channeled in the right direction. So kind of just got us thinking a little bit about what could happen over here. Yeah, I'm not... I- I'm not sure um, whether it's whether it's a good or bad thing to to do. In some ways, I think that uh, I think it's been brilliant to see those young players get go back to the clubs this year, which has been brilliant. There would have there would have been more of it, except for obviously that COVID outbreak at Christmas, which is, which is forcing the provinces to play games now, which they weren't originally going to play. So um, I think it could have been an unbelievable year for rebuilding, and it has been a very good year, but it could have been even stronger. Um, and it's no one's fault the way it's it's unfolded. Um, but also, having said that, I know I know that when I used to go back to play for Clontarf, um, or other pros went back, you're displacing somebody who who basically that's their uh, that's their rugby, you know. So you know to give someone game time takes away game time from someone else, and uh, uh, and sometimes there's pressure on coaches to play those professional or, or academy players over the the, the club player who is very committed just maybe hasn't had the opportunity um to get uh, to get into a professional environment so i think you know I, I think to have if the clubs knew that they weren't going to get those players back you know um they would love the challenge i would imagine of of playing in a league or, or some kind of a competition against them and i think it would invigorate those players who you know have ambitions to be professional players or don't but want to test themselves against uh, a team of would be pros or a mix, um, and uh, yeah, I think they'd relish it to be honest. Uh, so I, I, but I know it's it's very difficult, and 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 and, I, and then I, I'm, the flip side of it is, you know, the the benefit or the feeling and pride clubs have having you know had uh, an international play for them. So um, you know, Tyke Farland played some some rugby in Clontarf. All those internationals have a have a connection with a club, and not just a club players in that club uh who played with them for a period of time and you know enjoyed having played with a, a future international so it's it's a very difficult one to to work out um certainly what the like if it was to happen it would it would it would have to happen with a lot of um engagement and stra- and, and thought behind it whereas what seems to be happening in england is um uh, <laughs> to just to find out about it you know um second hand and, and that's not good because you know, I know what Ealing are trying to build. You know, I'm actually just looking at the English Championship here. Uh, Doncaster are actually top. You know, everyone presumes Ealing are going to go up. Um, now, Ealing have two games in hand, but they're only a point ahead of Cornish Pirates who played the same amount of games. So, um, you know, Jersey are, are making big strides. And um, I, I think it'll be a little bit different over there because they're obviously professional entities in themselves. And, you know, they would um, they'd be competing with, I suppose, teams with bigger budgets, etc. Whereas... Um, I think here the the amateur clubs would love a crack off um, a development team from the provinces. That, that that's my own good feeling on it. But without, but it's not it's not clearly yes that's a good thing or or it's a bad thing. I think um, it's something that would have to be debated long and hard. Ah, yeah, we're we're spitballing. But I guess if the other bit, sorry, sorry the yet? other bit that I read about in, in terms of a telegraph report is that they see it as a co- kind of commercial thing as well, where they can better sell maybe the championship, but all these superstar hotshot young players playing in the in the competition and you get to see a sign of the future. But I wonder, I really do wonder what the market for that is. And I see people, they mention to me like, why is there not a URC A-League where, you know, the, the same teams who are playing URC have their A, A teams playing against each other every second weekend or, or whatever it might be. And you, you get great crowds to that and people will watch that. But I don't know if they really would. I'm trying to think of other examples in other sports like it. Maybe in football, like, does anyone watch the reserve leagues or the under twenty three leagues? Is there a big market for that? I, not, not that I'm aware of. Maybe I'm completely ignorant of it. But there's only a certain amount that uh, you can sell in a sport, and it's got to be a really top class product if you're going to try and make money out of it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think quite often people who make that case are just people who are diehards, but like really 
um, emotionally invested in the development of players. You know, like proper rugby fans who'd like to see a conveyor belt of talent coming through who have an eye, an eye on every player at their province or at their club and every young player at every other club. But like <laughs> those people are actually pretty mm. rare and probably rarer than they themselves realise. And a casual observer of sport or even a casual rugby fan, I would say, isn't necessarily going to attend too many A games or, or watch it on TV if it's on. Like, But yeah, the England thing will... The, the situation in England will rumble on, I'm sure. Yeah, I'd watch, I'd watch it, Gav, if, there was an, if it was an A-League. I'm one of those people, but I'm not a good... Um, it's, if you're doing a market study, I'm not a good person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a quick word along similar lines. Bernard, Georgia and Zimbabwe and Kenya are going to participate in the second tier of the Curry Cup. Now... The Georgian situation is such that because so many of their frontliners play in France, they will be unable to play those players. They won't be released for it. So it's going to be a lot of domestic players from Georgia, which feels on the face of it like a really good opportunity for some of their more second string or peripheral players to be introduced to that international environment. Uh, The long and short of it is that these three countries believe it'll help their development in their bids to reach the next World Cup. Feels like... uh, Olive Branch is the wrong term, but like a, a nice hand up from South Africa yeah, rugby is that fair is. to say? I, I think um, I think it's great to see. Uh, we we're always trying to find out how we can help those those um, tier two countries, you know, bridge the gap, get to the next level, and, and I and I think this is a positive um, a positive initiative, and in both in terms of you know getting a chance to travel, um, but also play against different and decent opposition, and, and I think it's good. It's without their frontliners, to be honest, because. You know that's what they they need to do. They need to um, build more depth and, and open up opportunities for some of those guys who are playing club rugby in Georgia um, to get the the spotlight on them to potentially get professional contracts and 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 grow the the depth chart. So yeah, I think it's a it's a really positive. Um, in a week where probably there's a lot of talk about you know how we chop Italy and and. Um, make the Six Nations better, it's actually good to see something happen that's a, a positive for Tier 2. Certainly is. On to one of your exclusives on our members Zoom event with Squidge from a couple of weeks ago. You uh, had a little uh, line at the end, Bert. You told all of the members on the call that Frank Bradshaw Ryan would be joining Ulster. It was confirmed, what, two, three weeks later. 26-year-old lock playing for Nevers in uh, French Pro D2. Uh, what, what kind of a what would be the difference between his developing in the second tier in France over six years versus a player, a prospect emerging in Ireland and, and operating at one of the provinces for that period of time? Like, or will there be much of a difference? It's just an interesting career path. Yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting one. I think what you're getting is um, someone who's had to fight for for his his career um, in a in a very tough environment. Um, you know, had to leave Ireland quite young. Maybe wasn't rated here or didn't see. Or I'm not sure how it ended, but um, obviously there was a decision made that uh, he was going to move on. And um, he's like Prodi Two is very tough, you know, very very tough physically. Um, by all accounts, he's really kind of grown into himself and 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 um, has become you know uh, physically physically stronger, um, which is which is important. Um, there's some good matches in that in that league. It's certainly certainly for front five forward. Um, it's a it's a real test. And um, I know Never were were sorry to lose him. I think he had a year left in his contract. Um, but they understood that he wanted to, an opportunity to play at a higher level and and get back to to Ireland, having been away. I think six years or seven years. Um, and yeah, and I think it's brilliant. I I think uh, there's another monster lock, Madigan, John Madigan, is it down there in Pro D two as well? Um, and yeah, they're getting great life experience. They're making a living. Um, but I suppose you know the the opportunity to come home and and try and prove themselves at a at a URC level or Champions Cup level or Challenge Cup level is is a big draw. And uh, I'm really fascinated to see how he how he goes. And um, he could be you know he could be another Ty Burn type story where you know there's been a little bit of adversity and and he's found a way to to get back and and get maybe higher than some of the players who were his um alumni in the academy 
Have you seen much of him, Murray? Have you seen footage of him play, clips of him? Or have you watched games? You've probably seen them all. Yeah, I've seen a, few, a couple of games. It's tricky enough finding the rare games, to be honest. But I have watched a, a few of them um, in action. And, and a really good, gritty, abrasive set-piece lock. Came out of Shannon, obviously, and was in the Munster sub-academy and didn't make it there. And that's why I love this story. Like He's coming back to Ulster and he wants this badly. Like Every training session, you're going to get him trying to take people down who are perceived to be above him in the pecking order. He had just signed a new two-year deal, was it, Birch? I think in, in Never. Yeah, two-year, yeah. Relatively recently, and obviously Ulster thing pops up and he, you know, the club is understanding of him going back and chasing that dream because obviously he wants to push on and play in Ireland. And he's got, you ask, like, what has he had that's different? He's had experience of being in a battle every single weekend. It's a slog. Uh, he scored four tries. He got six yellow cards during his time in Never, which maybe is an indication of getting stuck in and <clears throat> playing on the edge of the law at times and just being grizzled. You know, he's still a relatively young mid twenties lock, but he has been in some really tough conditions and hostile environments, and he's had to fight for everything. And I'm sure it hasn't been easy over there at times. Like initially, when you go over there, you're taking a bit of punt. <clears throat> you're probably not getting paid that well, um, and yeah, deadly life experiences, but. It gives you a different kind of resilience. He's on a one-year contract in Ulster with every point to prove, so I can't wait to see how it goes for him. Speaking of life experience, then Birch, Munster recruiting a young lad by the name of Chris Moore. He was playing his ball in Exeter University, and he came through the Beach and Cliff School in Bath, which has strong ties to Bath Rugby. Uh, He has played for Ireland under 18s clubs in, what was it, 2018 Mm -hmm. as far as i'm aware um i don't know have you heard of him before or do you have any insight as to how the move actually came about because it's an interesting one and a brilliant opportunity for a slightly younger man to get a sense of this professional environment yeah look i've I've read about uh the signing and i read about his background but i'll be perfectly honest i haven't seen him play um i haven't seen him play but um it's uh yeah look let's let's see It, it could be could be a great move. It'll be a great move for him, regardless. But um, you know, is he going to be good enough to to push through? Uh, you know, that's the, the, that's the that's the question. And look, who's going to be coaching him is, an, is another question. I think that's uh, um, will be important. But it's definitely some a player that we can um, look forward to following his progress and see. It would be a great story if if he comes through and becomes a frontliner. Mm. Looks good in the highlights videos, Gav, doesn't he? he? He's a he's obviously tall. He's played back row and and second row. It sounds like. And he has a bang of Dan Sheen off his kind of stature and, and the way he carries the ball. So obviously everyone looks really good in their in their highlights videos. The fact that he has a few of them on YouTube would suggest he's, again, been pushing for this opportunity, has been proactive probably in, in seeking further opportunity. It hasn't come in England or with Bath or whatever in Exeter. But um, yeah, some nice tries in his, in his highlights reels. And worth a, a punt, I suppose, for Munster, a guy who's clearly very athletic in a position where they have been looking for depth and Declan Moore went off to Ulster and Scott Buckley's coming through so it uh, seems like a bit of a project but one that will be fascinating to see how it works out yeah played back row for Beach and Cliff I think he was player of the year in his senior year then that same year he's playing for Bath under 18s but as a lock and he's playing in the same team as Orlando Bailey and uh, some of the Bath guys now. It was actually, like, looking through that Bath team, it was interesting, kind of a who's who of Bath players, but also forgot that Oren McNulty was there on yeah. that same team as Moore and Bailey and Tom de Glanville and a few of these guys. It's pretty cool. Um, on that coaching front then, Birch, you had some uh, insights yourself, Murray, in your newsletter to members last night uh, on the Munster side of things. I mean, uh, are we any closer to kind of knowing who is going to take the reins and can you maybe tell non-members or give them a peek behind the curtain as to what you were saying last night yeah so it's really interesting in, in Irish rugby there's a couple up, up in the air Felipe Contepomi is as far as we know um, strongly in contention for the Argentina gig as well so there's a few assistant coach roles there Ulster D coach with Jared Payne leaving and then Munster to to confirm and clarify their coaching setup it sounds like David Nusifor the RFU's performance director is, is really hands-on with this one and obviously the head coaching roles are always are a few appointments, but sounds like he's really got to grips with him and wants Munster to really nail this uh, coaching ticket. Graham Rountree, as far as I understand, is the the favourite to be the next head coach and is kind of lined up for that role. He signed a new two year deal and very popular with the players. Obviously, hasn't done that role before, and in that sense, they would probably look to have someone who has maybe an overview on on attack and philosophy. 
Jordan Murphy was a name I heard mentioned this week, which was really interesting. He's been out of the limelight since since leaving Leicester in 2020, wasn't it? And the other name that keeps coming up is Milton Haig, the former Georgia head coach, who's now the head coach over in Tokyo, Suntory, Sun Goliath over in Japan. And, and there's been talk about a, a maybe a kind of off-pitch role. And you flagged this, Birch. Munster having someone who's in charge of contracting, succession planning, allowing the head coach to focus on actual on-pitch matters. And Haig is, is someone who's come up in, in that regard. He's obviously worked with Roundtree in Georgia. He did that role for eight years as head coach there. And Roundtree uh, came on board for the, the 2019 World Cup. So that's a chat at the moment. Noel McNamara is another name who keeps being linked to, to Munster. He's over in the Sharks as attack coach now, but... He's clearly really highly regarded. Indeed, if he was still in Leinster, he'd probably be um, next in line probably for for the backs coach role. So waiting to hear it all confirmed, but um, there's lots going on in the background as Nusuf work kind of drives it on now. Any scoops for us, Birch? If I was Noel McNamara, like, I'd be definitely eyeing that backs coach role if indeed uh, it becomes vacant. In Leinster? Mm, sorry, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, so look, I think someone like Noel McNamara or, or Mike Prendergast now... Um, you know, there's there's, prob- there's potentially two shows in town, two options for them. Um, yeah, the Milton Hague one is 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 definitely it's been doing the rounds for ages. Um, there's actually been no one else really severe, uh, like strongly linked to that DOR role. And again, it's it's the it's the nature of of looking for a DOR a year out from a World Cup. Um, you know, there's, there's, and, and four months or five months from from June. Um, you know, and I think they actually probably got started a little bit later than they should have. You know, when when Johan told him, uh, he was gone. Um, th- you know, that was probably the time to strike. Whereas now it's it's March. Um, for some reason it didn't seem to be anyone really acting on it urgently. Um, uh, yeah, and yeah. So obviously, if if Milton Hay comes in as DOR, um, is he going to be doing the recruitment? Uh, apart from Japan, where generally there's a rugby manager doing the recruitment. Um, in Georgia, he wouldn't have been doing recruitment uh, or contracting, so it doesn't really seem like a good fit for for what they probably need. The only positive I would say is if Graham is going to be the head coach, um, they have a relationship, and that's um, that is important. And then obviously you would hope that Graham could put together his own his own coaching group, um, so like to give him every chance of of being successful. Um, so yeah, the, the link that Graham had being part of the Georgian coaching staff at a World Cup under Milton, I think could be invaluable there. But look, there's not, you know, there's not, you know, Rod said it, you know, Scott Robertson is not going to come um, at the moment. There's not many high-profile coaches uh, or DORs that are, are on the market. The other thing we discussed is before um, Munster were kind of tasked with cutting their budget a little bit and, and tightening things up. So that, again, makes it, that little bit more difficult. You're not really going to be able to go out and grab someone out of a contract. As Birch mentions, everyone's kind of tied up. So, um, yeah, it's a kind of tricky period for Munster figuring out what comes next. And as Birch said, with, with Chris Moore, it'll be interesting for the players as well to find out who exactly they're going to be working with. Yeah, and I, I think, just the flag as well, I think Leinster have to cut their budget as well. Um, and I think you'll see six, five or six kind of, you know, steady players uh, departing and that all won't be down to lack of game time it'll be some will be down to to budgetary um, restrictions so but from an IRFU point of view it's a case of making sure we have enough uh, resource to keep the the Porters the Carberries um, you know the Bundyak Keys the the Ian Hendersons in Ireland Um, and if there has to be a little bit of uh, fallout a little bit further down well you know that's where it'll happen rather than lose a, a high profile player just quickly, Leinster at home to the Lions. That's tomorrow night, uh, twenty-five to eight. Birch should get the job done there, really, as yeah, all, yeah, as no, is always the case. <laughs> no, they will, but um, they definitely will. And the Lions, in fairness, are are rebuilding. Um, do you go, do a really good thing, and uh, not to talk about to avoid Leinster Lions because I think it'll be a bonus point for Leinster. But um, I, I think it's really promising to see the recruitment that's happening in in, in South African rugby. I mean. Um, my understanding is that the Sharks have signed uh, Lude, Diagar and, and Estebeth, which would be pretty, pretty cool um, if they come to salary cap over there might be getting uh, pushed a little <laughs> bit but uh, that's not for I don't care about salary cap I, I just want to see those South African teams being in the URC loaded with, with quality players and, and, and I think that's the that's something really look forward to next year we've had a kind of a 
uh, a stagnated start to this um, because of COVID, etc. But I think next year, looking at what the Bulls can can bring, um, uh, and obviously having adapted to to the style of rugby here as well, um, the Stormers, you know, Stormers have some real talent. The Lions are young, and they need to to probably booster themselves uh, their squad a little bit but I think they're doing that so yeah I think that's that's a real positive uh, for the URC Murray Stormers heading to Galway the following day Saturday and we've been here before with Connacht drive it on now just drive you know win again build upon a, 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 what was a really good win last weekend and I hate the word consistency but let's just establish it right mm, definitely Connacht gleefully looking forward to pissing rain as they've mentioned this week because <laughs> storms are coming from the summer I think it was 27 degrees over there yesterday in Cape Town it will be very different this weekend for them nice to see as Bernard says the strengthening of the South African side Stephen Kitsoff is over as their captain this weekend Herschel Yankees is involved and, and obviously the Stormers aren't what they were but it is nice to see those Springboks now filtering in and having had that d- disaster and the, the really tough time with teams getting stuck over there including Munster before Christmas it's nice to see this element of the competition coming back in I've been watching these South African derbies over the last few weeks and it really has been exciting to see some of the quality of rugby and some of the players involved the likes of Lucanio Am etc um, and Mapimpi and, and all the stars who are back now playing club rugby as we've hoped and anticipated it's going to add hugely to the URC so yeah Connacht got to back up what they did last weekend but um, it'll be good to see the increased competition from the South African sites. A reminder to everybody before this podcast shifts to a members only slot on a Monday you can still get 33% off an annual membership to the 42 it's members.the42.e use your promo code the 42 or W it's all caps all one word we have a couple of painters in the house. I told them I'd be finished at two o'clock. It's eight minutes past two and they're actually stomping around upstairs. So I'll have to call it a day. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks to everyone who's signed up so far. Hopefully a few more. Appreciate it. 100%. Thanks to everybody at home. Thank you to everybody who has made that move with us, not only in the last week or so since we've announced this, but over the last couple of years while the membership has been going on. We can't tell you enough um, how much we appreciate your support. And we're looking forward to kind of driving this on now over the next number of years with you uh we will be back on monday it'll still be a regular slot or excuse me the regular slot for murray and owen uh and then back here again on thursday uh for the final time i think i don't know i need to look at the schedule but uh, we'll chat you then anyway mind yourselves in the meantime enjoy all the rugby over the weekend take it easy 